uh, there's some terrific stuff happening at national levels with organizations. Uh, I just bring uh, a company called Reactor that have built something called Elements of AI, which is a free course to upskill the entire citizenship with AI skills, in particular targeting prisoners, for example, to be reskilled and upskilled when they, they leave uh, the prison. So I think uh, this looks at both how an organization plays its part to upskill its workforce of the future, um, but also their duty of care to ensure they've got an ability to upskill the communities they serve. On today's show, we're talking to Rob McCargo. He's the AI director at PwC. We're talking all about the changing skill sets in that marketplace, why it might not be so driven by hype anymore, and also how we advocate in the digital age. Joining me for the show, again, we've got like-minded female Sonia Barlow as we build up towards We Are The Cities conference on the 26th of June. That's next Friday. This is Tech Talks, your twice-weekly tech podcast with interviews and news from across the industry. Welcome to today's show and welcome back to Sonia Barlow from Like-Minded Females, our guest co-host for this week as we build up to the We Are The City conference on Friday next week, the 26th of June. So a week today. How are you, Sonia? I'm very well, thank you. I think I didn't mention the last one, but um, being a co-host is actually one of my live streams. So... (laughs) I'm, since I've uh, since we've met, to be honest, or since I've listened to it, so I'm definitely ticking something off the bucket list that you probably didn't even know you were making possible. No, I definitely didn't. Yeah. I, I think that, that you can only go up from here. If you can be co-host on this show, there's definitely other shows that that would be far more exciting to be a co-host on. I think if I could do if I could be co-host on any show, quite <laughs> sad as it is, I'll be co-host on on the Guardians Football Weekly. <laughs> Ah, there's so many, so many podcasts I want to be co-host on. So I think this is just a, I hope that this is like a springboard into that. When you're, when you're on something truly famous, then we can be like, hey, this is, this, well, this was the second appearance. This is the first kind of experience. <laughs> we'll, give it, we'll give it a couple of years and we'll see where we get to. Don't worry. Thinking, thinking of footballers, Marcus, Marcus Rashford has been all over the news for reasons other than football this week. Um, our guest today, Rob McCargo, talks a lot about digital advocacy. And yeah. I thought, thought it was quite timely that then we were, we were looking at uh, how a digital advocate was being used to spearhead the final push to, to get a campaign that's, that's been rumbling on in the background for some time over the mm-hmm. line. I definitely agree. So, and what he's done is incredible. Um, but you know, he's just taken that campaign from, from change advocates who have been talking about it and sharing it and protesting for it for years and years and years to say, look, this is something that I personally, uh, you know, felt or faced in my life. He says in one of his tweets, I think it was, or in a letter to say, I know for a fact that some of my friends only invited me around when I was younger, just so they can make sure I ate a large percentage of young kids are still facing that. I just think it's great that he has been able to use his influence and his his power or even his privilege in this in this sense to back something which is fundamentally going to change people's lives for the better. Mm. And that is a power of influence and that is a power of privilege. And he's using it to to exactly what you said, to be an ally and to advocate change rather than for just for like freebies and goodies that you can get where you're at that level. You know, technology gets a kicking. Social, in particular, gets a kicking. We all know that there are dangers around mental health, and and they should not be uh, brushed to one side. But there there are 
positive user cases. There are wonderful examples of people using these platforms to put pressure on people to do the right thing. And, um, you know, Rob, Rob, as we will get to, talks about digital advocacy later on in the interview. And, um, yeah, it's just uh, wonderful to see that in action and having such a positive effect, as you say, on people's lives. Is it even more wonderful for you because he's a footballer and you're obsessed with football? I wouldn't say I'm obsessed, but uh, it's nice to see a good news story around football rather than someone so. just breaking curfew or something stupid. Yeah, definitely. And I think it just, uh, what I definitely hope this does for young people, especially who are going and who use technology day in, day out and use social media is how can I use this platform not only to enjoy the relationships and to build a community, but to really be a change advocate and really help to elevate something for, for the better. And, mm. you know, that is, Ultimately, you're using tech to create not only communities, but to create change. And he's a living example of someone who, despite the fame and the power that comes with football, has been able to do that. And I'm I'm sure that young boys, girls, um, you know, everyone is looking at it thinking, do you know what? If he can make something happen online, what can I make happen online? Exactly. Exactly. Look, we will dive into the interview with Rob. Uh, he is director of AI at PwC. Myself and Sonia will be back with some commentary on it shortly. So today I'm lucky to be chatting to Rob McCargo from PwC. Rob, you're the director of AI at PwC. That's the right title or have I got that slightly wrong? That is correct, David. And look, it's really, it's a pleasure to have you on the show because you're someone that I've wanted to get on the podcast for some time. I saw you speak um, I, it was late summer last year at uh, the We Are the City conference that was held in Bishopsgate. Indeed, that's a terrific event. And thinking back to those days where we physically went to conferences, it feels like a whole different world now, doesn't it? Yeah, well, it's funny. I, I, I was recording a podcast earlier today with someone. We were talking about the idea that Ready Player One might happen a lot quicker than we thought with a... <laughs> Kind of VR, VR may well be something that people look at for conferences to make Indeed. them a little bit more engaging than necessarily <laughs> just the online platforms that we're using now. But nonetheless, uh, we're both going to be involved in the in the We Are the City conference on the twenty sixth of June. Um, you're speaking at that conference. What 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 are you speaking about uh, this time? Well, I think there's been so much uh, debate around the uh, impact of artificial intelligence on business. Um, I think there's some considerations about how the latest pandemic situation affects the adoption of the tech. Uh, could this see an acceleration of the technology in the years to come with organizations facing up to some pretty challenging efficiency demands? Uh, is there a likelihood this sees uh, companies racing towards an uh, adoption of the technology? Uh, but in a way that uh, we have to be mindful of the myriad risks and issues that face the technology if it's uh, I guess adopted in a in a too pacey way, and I think these mm. are surfacing in the media in quite a frequent basis at the moment. So, really, it's about framing where the uh, state of adoption is, where the opportunities now lie, and uh, how do we do this in a way that allows us to really reap the benefits of this extraordinary tech, but not in a way that leads us to regretting the unintended consequences down the track. Out of interest, you just mentioned the media, and before we kind of get into a bit more about your role and your background. One thing that I have heard recently is someone say that if anything, whilst the pandemic is awful, there, there has been a slight change that's helpful in, in the way that technology is talked about within the media. Because instead of it being kind of the 
is technology bad for society? Is AI going to kill us? All very high, kind of high-level attention-grabbing headlines that aren't necessarily helpful. It's become it's kind of come down the Maslow's pyramid of needs, and it's a bit more kind of rooted in, oh, how can this tech actually help us do our jobs or pay for stuff, rather than scaring the bejesus out of people? And I don't know whether that's necessarily it. Probably is helpful for AI. I think so. I, I think uh, we have to now acknowledge that there's no way that those of us fortunate enough to be able to work from home, we, we couldn't do it with this level of quality and engagement and immersion if we didn't have the extraordinary platforms available at our disposal now. Um, so it has brought, I think, uh, on the one hand, the greater understanding of really quite how transformative this is now to our lives as consumers, as citizens, as members of the workforce. But um, I think it's also surfaced um, in the main, helpfully, I think, a greater public awareness of the downside risk as well. Absolutely. Well, look, um, let's get into your role and, and what you do, because director of AI at PwC is a really interesting job. But you started as a headhunter, which is not something that people would necessarily have imagined. I, I guess that they would probably imagine that you studied computer science or you're an engineer or something along those lines. So how did you find yourself to be in the job that you're in today? Well, I, I think uh, I think my, my career journey has been one about constantly trying to stay one step away from being automated to, to myself. <laughs> uh, uh, so I mean, it started a bit before that. I, I sort of studied uh, microbiology at the university, which uh, don't ask me anything about that now, although that would be handy in the middle of a, a pandemic, I'm sure. Uh, and fell into fell into a, you know, executive recruitment uh, for the first phase of my career, entrepreneur for a while, not very good one. And I think I just awoke one moment several years ago where I was just like hang hankering for the purpose, the mission, the ability to, to, to create some legacy uh, and some intellectual stimulation, I guess, in, 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 in the sort of second phase of my career. Um, but uh, for me, it was about shocking myself out of my, uh, I guess, my, uh, my, my misery. And uh, the first thing I did, I, I worked for an NGO in West Africa during the middle of the Ebola outbreak, worked in wow, okay. Sierra Leone and Guinea and Liberia for, for, a, for a humanitarian organization, which was uh, one of the more interesting career challenges I faced. But I think uh, within that, you certainly learn a lot about yourself in terms of, in particular, the difference between the pressure that sustains and drives you versus the stress that can cripple you and, and hold you back. So that was a, a fairly interesting detour. And then really, I, I sort of stumbled across PwC, many friends there, and uh, had a, a year in a sort of an operational role. And, and really, one thing led to another. I, I moved into a transformation team. I then had the opportunity to lead on a fairly major AI project from a, a change comms and adoption point of view, that's the people aspect of the adoption. And um, and then really, four years ago, uh, the, the, the whole external market just started heating up. Governments were demanding to know what was happening. Uh, Organisations were starting to understand that this technology could pose tremendous opportunities and disruptive threats to them. Regulators were concerned about the implications on the constituents they represent, uh, increasing amounts of uh, uh, you know, uh, think tanks and civil society organisations starting to, to, to wave the flag. Uh, and this uh, came as a perfect time, really, to, to, to bring together our collective insight, whether it's uh, from the economics of the technology, from the assurance of the technology, from the, uh, the, the strategic aspects of this, and the sort of the geopolitical environment and beyond, and to try to form a really clear uh, uh, picture across all those disciplines. Uh, and that was really the, the chance I had to forge that role. I think also at the same time, I think uh, 
Uh, we have a huge brand name, and it's more affiliated in the past with the more traditional service lines that we we lead on around uh, audit and taxation, etc. So the the need to create a compelling point of view and perspective and level of insight for our clients and stakeholders was was really important, and that's been the, the chance I've had to uh, to travel the world, speak at conferences advise and submit evidence to Parliament and uh, join advisory boards to, to really further the debate of the, I guess, the responsible adoption of the tech in business. Now, what, what I find really interesting is that um, whilst you, I suppose, whilst you do have a kind of a science background in terms of your degree, we often we often think about technology and we get very kind of uh, caught up with the idea that if you're going to be a data scientist, you've got to have a PhD and so on. And if you're working in this area, then that's something that organizations are looking for. And yet your team is very diverse. And your team that you've got at PwC that's working in this area has a breadth of skills that doesn't necessarily fall into that ideal of what sometimes we paint people in this area must have. Um, and I just think it'd be interesting to know how you kind of feel that that, that team fits together and works to help you achieve the, the, the goals that you're looking to do as an organization. There's, there's uh, a very, very interesting uh, evolution, I think, of technology teams at the moment, uh, moving away from pretty homogenous uh, groups of people working in silos to a much, much more integrated and multidisciplinary field. And so, yes, whilst we have some absolutely tremendous data scientists, some machine learning engineers, um, uh, product and ops people, et cetera, that there are also an array of uh, roles within our AI team that take into account things like uh, comms, the ability to clearly and transparently communicate to our workforce about the tools we're developing and to our clients about the solutions we're deploying. Uh, we have uh, you know, people coming at it from a, a legal perspective, data protection angle, and a regulatory understanding, um, but also um, ethicists, people that can uh, ask the hard questions, hold the developers' uh, feet to the fire and make sure that the right level of challenge is in place and ensure that we have not just complied to the highest level of expectations from a data protection, privacy, and regulatory perspective, but also have taken into account the secondary and the tertiary effects of the technology, the potential unintended consequences and the ability for people to say, hang on, have we thought this through? Absolutely is the preserve of everyone in the team. Now, AI is having a dramatic effect on, um, I suppose, the thinking of organisations at the moment. There's been various reports that, you know, up to half um, uh, of the businesses out there will be looking to automate some elements of their business post-COVID. Um, I suppose that's going to do some interesting stuff to to global supply chains, outsourcing, should organisations uh, onshore tech. And that will obviously also have an effect on talent and, and the people that we need within organisations. What do you think the implications are and how, and this might be a really difficult question to answer, I don't, I don't necessarily expect you to be able to kind of say, this is what we need to do, but how do we make sure as a, as a society that those people who are vulnerable to losing their jobs are given opportunities in whatever new economy and society emerges? Right, so there's a, a bit there to unpack, David. So uh, let me just get my thoughts in order. Uh, I mean, I, it, was, it, was, it was quite a lot mushed in together. I, I, suppose, I suppose the crooks... I think we all know that organizations are changing, but it is that aspect of what it's going to do to the workforce and how we make sure that actually people people are given an opportunity as we move forward. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think the first health warning to put in place is that um, you know, there's, there's a lot of future gazing with regards to emerging tech like AI that uh, invariably uh, uh, proves to be uh, uh, ill-founded. Um, but I think there's a few things that we could well see happen in, in the 
short to medium term. But there is absolutely no doubt that organisations in uh, in response to the current pandemic uh, are absolutely reconsidering their supply chains and uh, the likelihood of uh, a rethink around outsourcing, onshoring and subsequent automation comes to the fore. And uh, I think organisations really were looking, looking for some pretty uh, impactful return on investment in some of those investments. Uh, and I think with that in mind, uh, I don't think there are many processes that can be fully automated wholesale. In order to do it well, I still think this requires a big influx of humans in the loop, qualified professionals across all those aforementioned disciplines that can uh, make sure the technology rolls out effectively. So, so it, absolutely, there's going to be categories of roles that are more vulnerable than others. That's always been the case, and this just brings this into sharp relief. Um, so it's imperative, I think, organisations considering uh, the automation agenda are also considering the parallel upskilling agenda. And, uh, for example, this is something that we've been doing even before the pandemic. We've uh, announced a three billion dollar uh, investment over the next four years to not just upskill certain teams, but upskill the entire global workforce of 270,000 people across the whole gamut of data analytics, robotic process automation, AI and other technologies. So that if you can imagine we have a very, very sophisticated central center of excellence, uh, I guess a, a further concentric ring of very able practitioners that can utilize the technology, which to be fair is becoming increasingly more democratized and user-friendly. And then a broader workforce that I think falls into this sort of AI citizenship camp, uh, people that uh, are, have got a good understanding of what the technology is doing for them, can do some, uh, uh, some, some work on it. And this, how this then percolates out into society is interesting. Uh, there's some terrific stuff happening at national levels with organisations. Uh, I just bring uh, Finland up, for example. They've uh, got a terrific uh, 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 academic um, Timo Royce and uh, the Helsinki University and uh, a company called Reactor that have built something called Elements of AI, which is a free course to upskill the entire uh, citizenship with AI skills in particular targeting prisoners, for example, to be reskilled and upskilled when they, they leave uh, the prison. So I, I think uh, this looks at both how an organization plays its part to upskill its workforce of the future, um, but also their duty of care to ensure they've got an ability to upskill the communities they serve. And not just doing it as a singular corporate entity, but increasingly working collaboratively with different parts, either geograph geographically or from a sectoral basis, because I don't think a singular unilateral action is going to be enough due to the forthcoming disruption of the workplace in the month and years to come. I suppose there's an interesting um, piece there around the fact that, as you said, org organisations, you know, they'll work in different geographies. Increasingly, because of the situation that we find ourselves in, companies really are global now. Uh, in a way that perhaps they might not, whilst we've had the ability to work from home, organisations are now beginning to kind of tear down the notion of regional offices and so on and and work in, in much more virtual environments. Whereas I suppose a country like Finland has the interests of a particular geography in mind. Um, is, is, is there going to be much more onus on the UK government, say, to think about upskilling and, and how we make people um, AI citizens to make sure that people in this country, if they are unemployed, can access jobs anywhere in the world with any corporate company yeah i mean i, I think the uh, 
the, the global mobility implications of this are, are still to be teased out. I think that will become a bit clearer in the months and years ahead. But I, I think already prior to the pandemic, there were some good uh, interventions taking place. Uh, the, the UK has a committed government office for AI. There's the Centre for Data Ethics and Innovation. There's some uh, some good work coming out. Uh, even very recently, there's an announcement for uh, 2,500 new master's courses for people to do conversion courses into AI. So um, there's, some, there's some good work already happening to start um, broadening the, the AI workforce. Um, and uh, in parallel to that, raising the awareness of the importance of the technology on people's lives. And as I said before, the decisions that are being made about people. So um, I, I don't know. I think it's too early to say about what those uh, geographical implications will be. Um, but we have to start taking some action on this. We do need to start thinking about the uh, accelerating the, 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 the upskilling and the shift towards different ways of working. And uh, this could be the accelerant that we needed to, uh, to make that happen more expediently. There's always been talk around uh, of hype around AI, and you kind of touched on what organisations might be doing with projects a few minutes ago. It, I know that before we before we hit record when we were prepping for this, you, you mentioned the idea that moonshot projects might be abandoned uh, by organisations. They're looking for kind of bang for buck. Do you think that's going to be a positive in helping manage that hype cycle around AI and, and kind of getting people to think about stuff that's much more practical and easier to implement? But for a few years, there's been uh, a difficulty in trying to find this calm, sober narrative down the middle. On the one hand, you have this uh, this far more fear-fueled distrust in the technology um, that leads to more of a kind of dystopian vision of the implications of this. On the other side, this more marketing-fueled hype curve that has been uh, slightly out of hand. So, so. For a while, we've tried to, to struggle to keep it in the center, you know, talk about the undoubted possibility of the benefits it brings um, whilst trying to rein in the over-expectation. So, yes, I think this could be helpful to maybe give organizations the impetus to get on with trying to see how it can drive business benefits and transformation. Um, we talk about this in our 2020 AI uh, priorities report, um, which I can happily share with you. Uh, the expectation now it focuses on what we call boring AI. So looking across that array of maybe back office functions that could really benefit from, from augmentation with, with different types of AI um, to, to build companies' uh, understanding of this, see the benefits. Uh, and uh, it might be the case that some of those big, bold moonshot ideas could be sacrificed or put on pause for a while. But I think once people build up the capability of maybe the, some of the more straightforward aspects of automation potential, that will give them confidence to move on and push the boundaries a bit further in the years to come. Now, look, um, we started this by saying that uh, we saw you at a physical conference uh, not too long ago, <laughs> and now that seems like a distant memory. Um, you are an advocate in this space. Uh, COGX have recognized that in the last week. But how do you continue to be an advocate when you're stuck behind a screen and you can't go physically talk to anyone? Yeah, I'll be very candid, David. It's just been a difficult few months for me for a variety of reasons. Um, and having that uh, ability to get out there, see people physically, has been really hard to, to cope with. But I think there's something to come of this. I've been having uh, some very interesting ability to connect with people through virtual coffees, whatever it might be. There's been far more access to some of these uh, 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 virtual conferences, which aren't as good as physical ones, but still allow some degree of impact. But I think 
it seems to me that now there is a even greater reliance upon the power of things like uh, social media advocacy, um, building communities digitally. And in some respects, it's actually, I think, maybe levels of playing field. You know, it's not like uh, in the past, expensive conferences were all that inclusive. Uh, there's a lot more access to insight and inspiration and wisdom through these platforms now, far for more economically with, with fair access. So I'm, I'm more optimistic than I was in recent months. I think now I've realized that <laughs> the old days aren't coming back in the same way uh, to think that we can make some good change out of this. We can we can open up uh, uh, the, the access opportunity. We can reduce the barriers. And I think this is absolutely critical in the state of what we're facing at the moment to, to really push hard on this now. And this comes back to uh, really the uh, the, the extraordinary power of um, We Are The City and the We Are Tech Women Conference and the work that Vanessa does to um, ensure that we're really pushing the boundaries, both from a gender, ethnicity point of view, uh, socioeconomic mobility, because it's fundamental with AI that in order to create AI that is for the benefit of the widest part of society, the teams building this have to be representative of that. And we have to hold our hands in shame really at the moment because we're failing on that. The figures are woeful for uh, representation, for you know, underrepresented parts of uh, society in the AI workforce. And uh, it's only creeping forward a percentage or two each year. So uh, so, so this uh, this digital community, I think that we can turbocharge could give us some ability to to widen that and uh, and make those workforces far more effective diverse and representative well we will finish on that positive note uh, i really appreciate the time that you've been able to give up to us this morning and uh, look i hope the i hope the talk goes well uh, obviously people can tune in and, and see for themselves on the 26th of june uh, anyone can to your inclusive inclusive point and uh, well it's we're recording on friday so have a lovely weekend thank you david thanks for the wonderful chat and look forward to the conference right i'm sure there's lots of stuff that you want to talk about um, I'm going to hijack first, though, and kind of jump onto the one thing that 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 struck me immediately listening to this. Um, and it's quite funny listening back because sometimes I miss stuff, and then I re-listen to it, and I go, "Oh, oh, I miss. I kind of missed the importance of this." Um, he was talking about parallel upskilling. He was talking about the three billion uh, pounds worth of investment over the next four years to upskill the global workforce of 270,000 people. And then he went on to talk about Finland, and he talked about elements of AI, a free course for the population, especially targeting prisoners. And that I find fascinating. Uh, this idea that we need to upskill the communities that we serve, but targeting a group of people that otherwise are going to be excluded and could be left behind and making sure that you give people opportunities. And I have to admit, I, when we were when we were first recording the conversation, I missed the prisoner mm -hmm. aspect of it. And I just think that's that's fantastic and so forward-looking and progressive of Finland as a country. Yeah, I um, a couple of years ago, I don't remember the company's name, but they're UK-based. They Their kind of whole business model is to go into prisons and to upskill prisoners and to give them digital skills or basic kind of life skills that you now need so that when they come out of prison, they, they are both not at a disadvantage, but they can go back into the world of work. And I think what that shows us is, yes, people can reform and people can transform if we enable them. But sometimes we know that, you know, those who are in prison, those who are kind of locked up 
in in these institutes maybe shouldn't be there or they did a petty crime and they've been given their life for it mm. uh, and 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 lastly it just shows the again the advocacy of change if we as institutes as organizations communities can go to uh, can go and give hope to other people it will allow them to come out as better people and hopefully impact society you know AI is so transformative, is the future of the way we work. I think it's a shame that coming being based in the UK, we're not doing more and we're not creating accessible courses for young people, especially for students on what they should be doing with AI and what that necessarily means. Uh, and and we kind of look at the lights of like Finland or um, Sweden, I know also does something similar in Denmark on, on how they're transforming the lives of, of their communities. Yeah. And, and let's face it, people repeat offend because they don't see yeah. any alternative. Yeah. Um, you know, you, my, my mom was a, was a teacher in an inner city school, comprehensive school in Newcastle. And where there's, where there's no hope and no opportunity, the, these aren't fundamentally bad people. There are just communities that are deprived and left behind and don't know what else or what are the what other opportunities there are. I suppose going back to our episode at the beginning of the week, you know, where Williams F1 or Williams Racing rather are taking a thousand young people and bringing them into the factory and just opening people's eyes to opportunities. There is there is onus there is there is responsibility here from society and from companies that are benefiting from the communities that they serve in giving people opportunities, no matter what stage they are in life or, or where they're from or what, or what they've done. That responsibility aspect that you've just spoken about, I a hundred percent believe in. I think we are responsible and accountable as individuals, as, as, as human beings, as adults, as kind of senior stakeholders to say, right, this is what we're doing, but how are we helping the future? The future doesn't just mean younger people. It just means the future generally. How are we transforming them? And I think I mentioned before, but I'm living proof of that. I did not grow up in the best of circumstances. I do not come from a privileged background. I come from a very low socioeconomic background and my parents struggled to put food on the table. I didn't go to a great, a great secondary school, but if it wasn't for the universities or institutes that came into school and said, you know what, maybe you've got a chance to see something different, I might not be here. Mm. It's the same when you look at, um, you know, you take Denmark as an example. They pay for people to go to university. They pay for for students to learn with the view that if we give you this, you will then give back to the economy and you will give back to us. And I think that model is great in its own right, because again, you know, companies and organizations are responsible for what they are producing. And that doesn't just mean products and services. That means the communities around them and, and the impact. Um, yeah, hopefully, you know, hopefully even going back to the Marcus Rashford point, I really hope that what we are coming to, especially through this pandemic, as we are seeing advocates and allies uh, stand up and speak up and shout out to say, do you know what? We want to help you move forward because we have the time, we have the resources, we have the tools, and we want to help change your lives. Mm. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. A um, couple of other quick points. One, one that I think is is just kind of a really interesting quirk about the times that we're living through. It talks about the shift from uh, kind of a, a homogenous, siloed industry uh, to to uh, a technology industry with a greater range of skills. And it is funny, isn't it? 
in some regards, teams are closer than they've ever been, despite the fact that they are remote. Silos are being broken down. I am working within within the organization that I work. There's there was a regional kind of structure, and that's fallen apart. And I'm talking to people in those regions, within mm. with quotation marks, speech marks, whatever, um, in a much more fluid and open way mm-hmm. than I had done before. Yeah, we, you know. <laughs> What's that nice uh, feminist quote? You know, we're, we're dismantling the patriarchy. Yeah, but even this isn't necessarily the patriarchy. These are the hierarchies. We are, yeah. we are trying to dismantle. Um, one of the perks when they say you're going into a scale-up or a startup is it's a flat hierarchy. I don't think that exists. That isn't true. It's never a flat hierarchy because you still have uh, kind of stages and steps you have to cross to meet or talk to senior leaders, be that their calendar is full or be that they have an executive assistant that you need to book into, whichever one. Here, what we're seeing is you are using the likes of Slack or Teams um, or Google Hangout, Zoom, whichever is your kind of medium to just say, hey, do you have a moment? Can I ask a question? Or how are you doing? And you have senior leaders, especially more concerned about their employees, their mental health, their their kind of position right now, feeling like you're isolated, feeling like you you don't have the sense of belonging. One of the greatest things about going into the office is being able to go for a cheeky cup of tea in the kitchen and have a quick chat, right? You're not necessarily getting that now and people are feeling it. But I think technology is a great tool, a massive enabler to create communities and on the, on the bright side, what we've seen, similar to what you've just mentioned, is you don't need to sit in the office or next to each other to make stuff happen. You can make stuff happen from anywhere in the world as long as you're making something happen. It's good enough. Mm, yeah, absolutely. And um, what do you think about this point about um, the technology team? Uh, you know, we mentioned there about a greater range of skills. He talks about uh, kind of the role of the ethicist within technology, someone to hold the feet of the industry to the fire. You know, it's not just about regulation. Um, we've got to start talking about the unintended consequences. That's something that we've talked about for a long time in this podcast with the likes of Dot Everyone, who've, who've now uh, kind of amalgamated into the Ada Lovelace Institute. But it's a really, it's a really key point. This responsibility piece, and it's great to hear that PwC have got someone like Rob going around the world talking about responsible leadership in tech. But it's a piece that can't be over, overstated or overlooked right now. Yeah, I um, I'm a big fan of Rob generally. Since I've met him, I've seen him not only as an ally, but as somebody who isn't afraid to speak out. And that speaking out piece is so important. It's not just showing up, but it's calling people out on their misbehavior or in their unintended or unintentional biases to say, you are doing this today, but you have no idea what the consequence of that will be tomorrow. Let me educate you so you stop yourself. And, you know, similar to what he said, it's at some some people might look at him like the bad guy, right? But in the kind of the, the, the wider view of things, he's not the bad guy. He is just a guy who is taking accountability to make sure that things are changing. And I definitely think we need them. We need, we need these uh, people or these characters in every... I think we need one in like at least in each company, let alone in society we need uh you know we need people to be brave enough to be confident enough in companies to call out inequality of of any kind and i love Mm. the fact that rob does that and he does it without thinking twice and i i you know i i kind of presume that's why he's becoming this influential change leader especially in ai is because with ai we already know the biases that exist right we we're aware of it gender bias race bias ethnicity bias we're all aware of it and they're trying to trying to fix it 
So him leading AI and him leading his team in AI and building the tools and the resources that they are, at least we are confident that, you know, as a senior stakeholder, he's calling out the biases and we're more comfortable using the products that he may be producing because he's already aware of the biases that exist rather than being ignorant and being like, oh, do you know what? We didn't know that was going to happen. But even though now it's happened, you still have to pay all the fees because that that's not responsible and it's not ethical. Well, look, if you want to hear more from Rob, he is speaking at the We Are The City event, the conference that we've been talking about all week. It's on the 26th of June. There are tickets still available. Check out the show notes. You can get uh, uh, hold of one there. I know LMF Network as well are running a competition. Sonia, remind me about the details about that. Yeah, so the competition is that you can win a free ticket to the virtual conference. Uh, The panel that I'm hosting at 10.30 on that day is what can we do to encourage more young girls into STEM? So all you need to do is answer that question on our LinkedIn profile. The winners will be announced um, on on Friday and the ticket... Oh, that's today. Yeah, exactly. Today. (laughs) (laughs) Right, so people need to get on it. Right, okay. But it's also because um, today is the last day that people can actually get involved in the conference yeah so yeah. You know, there is there's is a reason there's a deadline for a reason and it's because the the great people at we are the city they want to send you an agenda they want to send you all the comms you need beforehand they want to send you the resources they want to make sure you are comfortable with using the tool and i love that prep work that they're putting into it yeah, yeah. i feel like we should have some kind of disclaimer that if you're watching this on catch-up you know that kind of thing please don't enter the competition but uh <laughs> <laughs> You can enter because I still want to know how we can encourage young girls into STEM. Absolutely. You don't the ticket, but what we can do is use your ideas to form new new tools and resources that we can provide to them. So uh, definitely enter just to be an ally. Absolutely. Look, Sonia, thank you for being on the show this week. It's been a pleasure having you. Uh, everyone else, have a lovely weekend. <laughs>